I thought I had one sermon ready, and then several conversations happened, and it's kind of different now. Um, as I was telling uh, Aaron before uh, service began, I kept remembering the words of my teacher and mentor, um, and she would always say to me, uh, don't dodge the readings. Whatever you do when you preach, don't dodge the readings. You have to address them. And I thought they were bad enough. That they're hard to hear. Jesus has never sounded so uh, uh, so binary, so black and white, and he just said. And of course, the Old Testament reading we heard that Melissa read, um, whether you know the story or not, it's just a very bizarre tale about worship. But a lot happens there. And here we are holding these readings, wanting to be Christians, wanting to follow God. And what does that mean today in this modern age? And in the midst of us processing our personal faith, the shared faith we have, uh, the world and its realities uh, cave in on us. We collide with the reality that we talk about often here, and I wonder sometimes, I don't know how you feel about it, because I think I'm almost a broken record when I say this world is broken and it needs to be saved. And it's tempting to think in our comfort here in the modern West, in the bubble that we exist in Canada, to think, well, Seth, are you overstating it? And then the news then breaks, and then we're shocked. Maybe we're shocked into remembering, ah, death and misery, though I think it's far from me, hounds the majority of the human race. And in that hounding, we have to process, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be share this faith? And what does Jesus, because we're trying to follow with Jesus, what does Jesus say to that? And that's hard. That's hard. Um, <clears throat> I was, uh, I don't know if you would know this, but... Uh, our diocese had synod uh, this weekend, so I was away for the weekend. And the synod is where all the, the priests and, and elected lady come together in, in Calgary. Um, so 150-odd people, and we discuss and sometimes debate even heatedly the affairs of the church, make decisions. It's every three years, so we just had it this weekend. And um, between the presentations, we heard of our indigenous sisters and brothers, what's going on in their ministry and their reality, what they face on a daily basis, and also for us, and also everyone discussing the Middle East. And a lot of opinions were shared. And I'm sure you know this too. If you have any sort of social media reality and you're online, uh, you're likely seeing a lot of discussion. Well, I won't say discussion. You're seeing a lot of posting, cross-posting, a lot of very incendiary opinions are being stated. Um, you're seeing sort of like even, even generational divides. I'm seeing... Uh, for example, my parents, sort of generational, that a lot of uh, Israeli flags are being shared on social media, right? And if you just drop down the demographics to like, uh, am I young? I don't know. Millennials, Gen Z, and then you're seeing a lot of like pro-Palestine. And, and these groups of people are, if they're talking to each other, it's in the tone of vitriol, right? But we're debating... Uh, really when it comes down to it, is who's to blame, who's wrong, right? And maybe if you're not too familiar with the politics of the Middle East, the history that you maybe you've been reading, trying to read up in the history, but what's going on here really, right? But of course, if you've studied history, you understand that history is not mere chronology. It isn't merely looking at dates and saying, oh, there was a war in 1968, Egypt attacked Israel. Like, it's not that. History is more than just chronology, but it's taking into account uh, making, an, um, in a sense, a moral evaluation or a, a discerning a narrative and saying, what, what's the meaning behind this chronology that, that I'm, I'm seeing, right? It's more than facts. And for us, when we look at that history in the wake of a tragedy, 
the conversation really is who's wrong? Who's to blame? Right? And it's an interesting phenomenon because I think if you were to have a casual, a regular conversation with a neighbor or a friend and you ask them about their moral or ethical convictions or beliefs, they might say something to you like this. Whatever you shared and whatever they shared, it would end with, well, you can have whatever beliefs you have and I'll have mine. You know, truth is relative. So it's, it's cool. Whatever you believe, whatever belief, it's fine. That is kind of the operating ethic of our age. And at its best, what it's trying to do is try and create a space where we say to our neighbor, I'm not judging you. Like we can be friendly, even though we might not completely agree. We can engage and have a drink and hang out. You have your truth, I have mine. But that display of what? Politeness seeps into our ethical frame, how we actually judge the world. We see things occurring in our world and we don't want to say it's wrong or right. Oh, it's just their opinion. I have mine. You have your politics. I have my politics. And then something like this tragedy happens. And it's like that statement is shown for how empty it actually is. There is no your truth and my truth. There are things you point to that's gross and wrong. Right? And I think it's been revealed. Even in our comfortable West, we saw something. Over a thousand people dead. And we're not going to be like, well, that's their truth. Whatever they want to believe, and I have mine. No, that's wrong. And so we recognize that. So A, I want us to wake up to the fact, it's a minor point, it might sound big, it's actually a minor point in the sermon, is that our moral perceptions, we're seeing something in the world. It's not what we make up. It's not what I decide. Well, I decide what's wrong and right for me. No, there seems to be a right and wrong independent of what I decide. That's being, now that's being shown to us. I hope we're all seeing that. And then I hope the next step, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, is saying, well, if there's a wrong and right independent of what my opinions, I want to be aligned with what's good. Right? That's hopefully the next step. And that's what we've been discussing in the past. So that's important. That's kind of the question, so to speak. How do you align with the good? What's the process of that? You think it's easy, it's actually not. Well, it's costly, I would say. We'll get to that. How, but how do you do it? As a follower of Jesus. Here we go, the deep waters. The parable of Jesus. In a sense, it's going to feel like I'm skimming. I'm not going to go into deep. Jesus is saying a lot there. It has a lot of theological importance. Uh, but I'm only going to, uh, so a parable, in case you don't know, a parable is a story. Uh, Jesus uses parables. They're a kind of story that you're not meant to read it and, and understand the surface. If you read the surface, not meant, it's not meant to stay at the surface. You're meant to sort of ponder it, consider it, and the truth is revealed, or several truths sometimes, as you're sort of masticating, as you're chewing it, as you're processing it, right? Because it's very easy to hear what Jesus is saying and just sort of do a very surface reading and be like, Wait a minute, so is Jesus saying that a king can, uh, if he has a party and no one comes to kill him? Is that Jesus' point? No. In case you're thinking, no, that's not what Jesus is saying. Something deeper is going on. But I'm going to draw, just, I'm going to point to one small thing, but important thing that he says. A lot, he says a lot. I'm going to do one. Uh, and it connects to the Exodus reading. See if we can do that. Jesus says, there is a king. And then he gives a story, right? It's a party and people are invited, but 
what we can just skip over, but I want to highlight. He says there's a king. In other words, there is a locus of authority, and you're meant to discern that. Now, in the original community that was hearing this, when Jesus was talking 2,000 years ago, he was talking to his country, his community, the people around him. They were very well aware of kings, right? They had a Jewish king, there's of course the Roman king, the Roman emperor, right? That was a very normal concept. Of course, they were having a they were oppressed, the Jews, of that, the people, Jews were oppressed by the Roman Empire, so uh, they were under the thumb of a very violent and murderous Roman king. All right, so it wasn't ideal to be under the authority. Uh, 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 what they would see not only as violent and hurtful, it's also inappropriate. They're not, he's not actually a king, but we've been conquered. What can we do? So Jesus uses that frame. There was a king, and here's a story about a party. It goes on. And here we are 2,000 years later, and we hear the word king. It's like, oh, that's nice. Um, I mean, we have like monarchy on our, our coins. That doesn't affect my life. I don't actually believe in that. I don't feel that I have a loyalty to the monarchy. That's a concept that's not part of our mind. We're very democratic. We're very democratic in how we experience this world. And that comes into how we express ourselves ethically and morally. And what Jesus is saying is if you're a follower of me and you want to be aligned to good, then you must align yourself with the source of goodness. God. Revealed perfectly in Jesus. Right? I'm, I'm telling you why I'm saying this. That sounds like an abstruse point. The reason I bring this up is because I, I mean, I'm also online. I see a lot of my friends from very different backgrounds, convictions, political um, allegiances, spiritualities, and what I've seen is an uh, incredible amount of knee-jerk reactions. Immediately they have a hot take. Oh, they're wrong because of this, or actually they're wrong because of that, and it's like, it just riddles my, my feed. And then I went to synod with all these other clergy, and I also experienced some of that too. Just like really quick moral appraisals. And the question for me as, as a Protestant, like, well, is that what we're meant to do as Christians? To just have to quickly decide, that's wrong, that's right. I'll tell you something. And this, is coming, this is a very personal thing for me. I'm sharing something with my own life, my own heart, maybe, the way I think about things. Please, later, challenge me on this. If you want to have a conversation, please do that. Um, the only times when I've uh, so rarely... And, and, and uh, so rarely are you able to make an accurate uh, and honest assessment, moral assessment, quickly. Very rarely. Because human interaction, human reality is very complex. You actually have to do a lot of soul searching and, and, and processing and understanding to come to evaluation. The only time I've, I've seen that it works that you can make a quick analysis is if you take whatever you perceive to be your opponent and you cartoon it, you reduce it to a cartoon. You say, well, I'm clearly one of the good guys and they're clearly one of the bad guys. And so I just make an evaluation. And of course, that's wrong. But what you have to do is you have to reduce your opponent. You have to make them less than human. You, have, you, you, you abrogate to yourself all kinds of excuses and nuances for what we do. But to them, they're just the boogeyman. They're bad guys. 
and we do a reduction. That's the only way quick analyses work. But as a follower of Jesus, a Christian, we're not called to do that. I want you to notice that part of what uh, Melissa read in Exodus, the story, a lot's going on there. But notice how the story begins. To give you context, you may be familiar with the name Moses. He's a very important prophet across three major religions, Islam, Christianity, Judaism. And this prophet was called, so then there it goes, this prophet was called by God to rescue his people from uh, slavery in Egypt. They've been slaves for 400 years. God calls Moses to do that, and he rescues them with all kinds of power. There's miracles, frogs everywhere. It's, it's an impressive feat. They're rescued from slavery, and then God, leading Moses, brings them to this holy mountain. And at this holy mountain, God's going to deliver these, like, command, we'll call it commandments, these rules of life, that if they live in line with these rules, they're going to experience all kinds of what we could say spiritual, psychological integrity. They're going to experience peace and wholeness. And so God's going to deliver this to them. And so they have to wait by the mountain and they're going to get it. But it says they were impatient because Moses went out to receive the law, had to come back, and they're like, well, he's gone and we're impatient. Give us something now. And so very embarrassingly, Moses' brother just does it. Hey, give me your rings and give me your jewelry. And then they make a golden calf, which... Once you know the commandments, the very first commandment is like, hey, don't do that. So they immediately break the number one rule. They make this golden figure, and then they're going to worship it. And God's like, I think I have to wipe these people out. They're not listening. That's what he says. It's very, it's a very trying passage. But if we're going to discern an insight from that, I think what God is saying is there's a way to live in harmony and peace in this world. And humans are chronically unable to discern that on their own. That's why I have to give it to you. Because left to your own devices, if you just open your history books and see how you deal with each other, you're perfect at hurting each other. You're perfect at reducing the humanity of each other. You're perfect at enslaving, marginalizing, and robbing land. You're good at that. You have an, an incredible inability to do right by each other. So I'm going to help you in that. And here's this law in that anger and patience. There you go, tweeting about something. Golden calf. Well, I think, here's my hot take, and burr, spew it out, whatever it is. My friends, that's not the way. To rely on our half-baked ideas of ethics and morality and go out there and swing and calling people, you're evil, you're bad, this is... As a follower of Christ, that's not the way. That's the point of comedy today. That's not the way to do it. What we're meant to do as followers of Jesus is to understand that there's a, a right and wrong and dependent on what I believe. Attune to that good. And if you're honest about attuning to that good, you start asking questions, well, what, what is this good really? And you start doing the processing, the honest, and the journey of integrity, you're going to find God at the center of that. And then you're going to find God revealed most perfectly in Jesus. That's where we end up being Christians. And then the question really has to be, well, I have these ideas, but Jesus, what do you think? Jesus, what do you say? And um, you know what he says? There's this, um, there's this pretty popular story in the Bible um, that you might know it by the title of Jesus and the Paralytic Man. There's a guy who can't walk. And Jesus is teaching. He's doing his Jesus thing. And uh, this man wants to be healed. 
He can't walk. So his friends put him on a little stretcher, and Jesus is in a house. And these guys go to the roof of the house, and they break the, the roof open, which is very cheeky, at least. And then they lower their friend, who can't walk in the stretcher, down to Jesus. Right? There's Jesus giving a talk, and suddenly something's coming down, and there he is. Obviously, he can't walk. Obviously, he needs help. They do that because they know that Jesus can do healings. He's a miracle man. Do you know what the first thing he says when he sees the young man? I'll paraphrase a little bit because I'm not that good with the Bible. He says, uh, son, your, your sins are forgiven. Son, your sins are forgiven. Which created a controversy, mind you, in that story. But I want you to stop for a second and notice what happens. This person clearly has a material need. They can't walk. And by not being able to walk, they're likely very poor. They have to be beggars. Their life is a disaster. Material. Everyone can tell them. So you would think if God's going to help this person, you're going to bless me with new legs and a new job. Right? And you would, that's what you're going to do. You're going to help me out. But the first thing Jesus says is, I'm not going to do it. He says, your sins are forgiven. And here's the point. This is what Jesus says. You're as humans, we think in a human gaze and we think, well, there's this political problem. It clearly needs a political solution, right? Material problem, material need. And that's how we solve the world. We just need a better philosophy, a better politic. And then what Jesus, God incarnate, God comes to us, God says, is you think your problem is politics. Your problem is you need a new heart. You need to be healed. And it's a healing that you can't do on your own. I can do that. That's what he says. I forgive your sin. I mean, later he heals his legs too. But the point is he starts with that, right? He starts with the heart. And it feels like a detour for us. Because I was talking to some friends, and I know it, it, it was uh, annoying to them. I'm a little too Jesus-y sometimes, but it was annoying. Like it's just, even Christians, they're like, ah, no, 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 we've got to talk about this. And it seems like you're always talking about the Bible, talking about this thing, right? It feels so random. Yes, from a human gaze, to consider the human heart does feel like a, a random step because we think we have to figure it out. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't. You tend to think that there's bad guys over there and you're naturally one of the good guys. But my friends, what we should know by now, what I was reminded this weekend, what I was reminded uh, two weeks ago when that wonderful indigenous woman took me to task for not doing right during the blessing of the animals. Right now talking about the, the residential schools. What we're having to learn now is that we don't stand on the right side of history. It's, that's actually impossible, right? The moment you point a finger, this is so like grade three, but the moment you point a finger to blame someone there's these three back at you, right? And you want to say to yourself, no, I'm a good person. I, I don't do those things. I want you to pull out your cell phone. That could be hard. Because if you have a cell phone or the clothes that we wear, the, the bubble of comfort that we exist in is purchased with the blood price. The life is afforded to us is because other people around the world live in a lot of misery so that we can have our lives, right? Remember that quote by Andrew Alexander Zulitskin, the famous 20th century uh, Russian novelist and writer who was thrown to the gulags? What did he say? He thought there was good guys over there and we're the, we're the good guys and we're the bad guys. And he realized, feeling the heavy hand of the communist uh, uh, regime, he had to learn, he wrote about it a lot. He said, the line of good and evil runs through the human heart. To all of us. 
And what he was, Andrew Alexander was saying is what Jesus is saying. Yeah, it runs through all of you. It needs to be healed. I can do it. You should be asking yourself, what do I think about this? So that's what the Christian does. That's what I'm trying to share with you. That's what Jesus is sharing. You want to know how to process this reality? No, I'm trying really hard to tell you this or that. I'm not trying to do that right now. We have to think of the posture of our heart. Because I learned in my own life, this is very, this is personal too. Um, it was pointed out to me uh, a long time ago, and it, it's so true. There's no louder uh, ethical voice that comes than from a person uh, who's done something wrong. That makes sense. Only if, when someone's really pointing at something, showing how wrong that is, often it's a mask for what their own unresolved shame or guilt. Right. So when I see people online doing that, oh, that was wrong. This was wrong. It's like you know you you live on stolen land, right? You're aware of that, and it hurts you. It, hurt, it should. It hurts me. Self righteousness doesn't suit anybody. The only one that it would suit is Jesus, and he never did it. He was very humble. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. As Christians, we must be humble in our approach to everything. Consider that, ask, and in humility, ask Jesus, what do you think about this? And if you're scared that that's going to make you be a person that never says or does anything, that's not true. One of the most famous uh, 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 advocates for social justice was Martin Luther King Jr. He was a, a Christian pastor. And he tells us a story. Just to wrap this up, he said uh, there was a time in his life when he was up at 3 a.m. at his kitchen table and he couldn't sleep because he had given a certain talk and he had gotten some uh, very credible death threats. Martin Luther King Jr. And he was afraid. He has children, a wife, he has children. And he sat at that table and he said uh, he didn't see a way out. He was just terrified. And he prayed to God. He said, God, I don't know what to do because I've come to the end. I'm just really scared for my family, for my kids. They're little. At that time, they were little. And I don't know what to do. You need to help me. And he says that when he had come to the end of his will, the end of his strength, what anything he could do, that's where love and power of God came and connected with his life. And that from that is where his famous ministry began. But it had to begin by admitting the limits of his ability and giving it to God. That is not just a Martin Luther King Jr. thing, that's an all of us thing. It's when we admit, God, I don't, I don't know how to fix this world. I don't know how to make sense of these thousands of lives that are lost. I don't know how, what could I say to make that right? What did anyone say to make that right? And I can't. Nothing I can say. The only thing I can share with you that are not my words is what the Bible says. The Gospel of John, a light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Why should we do this detour to Jesus and the top of the cross and all that? And we're talking about a political reality. Why is it always Jesus? You know why I do it? Because in Jesus, cross, his life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus says, in that moment is the resolution of all the evil and suffering in this world. I don't know how, 
But I trust Jesus when he says that no matter what human history we have, at the end of that history, Jesus stands and truth and justice and love will prevail, no matter how dark it gets. That's why I point to that. That's what animates me to to live a life of hopefully integrity and kindness and love and justice. Not based on my opinions, based on the truth that Jesus is true. He is who he says he is. He is God and therefore can ensure a hopeful future. So as Christians, we have to go to him first. And then from that, engage the world. Engage the rage. Fight for justice. Fight for truth. Fight for what's right. In the name of for the sake of Jesus, that's the only way to the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Uh, dear God, our Lord, we come before you. Um, many of us uh, with complicated and I'm sure heavy hearts. Um, we're cognizant of what's happening in the Middle East. God, we pray for that, for those people, for everyone. God, we want to submit our, our ethical opinions and politics to you, God, because you're the only source of true love in this world. And God, whenever we forget that, as often as we forget that, we forget you. Thank you that you never forget us. God, fill us with your love. Help us to be discerning in how we speak to others about these important matters of our age. Encourage our hearts with your love. Help us to trust and hope that no matter what happens, you stand there today with us right now and at the end. Our future is secure in you. Help us in that, we pray. Amen.